Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House, we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you. We stream our live services Sundays at 10.30 and 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc slash live. I hope you enjoyed this message. Yeah, flip, 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 it, slip, flip. Hey, everybody. Good to see y'all. Y'all live out there? All right. I see you sitting upright. I guess you're alive. Uh, glad you're here today. Uh, my name is Michael Singer. I'm one of the pastors here at Freedom House Church. Uh, let's go on and give a big shout out to all of our people live streaming. So y'all give them a hand clap. We have people from California, Kansas, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Massachusetts, Maine, one of those deals, New Jersey. Uh, don't say yeah yet. I might have got the abbreviation wrong. Uh, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, and Washington all watching. So thank you all for being here with us. Glad you're um, wherever you are and watching. Good to have you with us. Um, so I'm a, I've been at this church for 16 years now. Uh, the church is 16 years old, so I came early on. Uh, one thing I love about this church is that God has done a lot with Michael while I've been at Freedom House Church, uh, through good times, through challenging times. Uh, but I, God has used this church to really teach me a lot about my relationship with him. So I'm very appreciative of that. Uh, some other things about who I am. Uh, I'm married to a wonderful lady, Jalay, that, uh, yeah, y'all give it up. I will come off this platform if you don't give it up for my boo. So I love her. Uh, I just, our life is just good. I, I can walk in my house and feel peace. And I know not for everybody that's not the case. But um, when you work at it, when you believe in it, when you allow God to get involved in it, you can really have something good. So I, I love our marriage uh, so much. We had three kids. Uh, I got oldest boy, Noah. Uh, he's 11. And then Jonah is 9. And then my baby girl just turned 8, Lily, um, not long ago. So love my family and enjoy hanging out with them. We were at the zoo recently. Um, and I mean, when you can see a grizzly bear and a silverback gorilla all on the same day, you might as well say, God, take me. Life is done. Everything has been fulfilled, completed. Uh, y'all don't have to give any money right now. We're good. You don't have to. I'm just kidding. So, so very glad that you're here today. Uh, and I know that God is going to speak something. We're, we're finishing up this series. It's called Flipside. And it's all about getting God's perspective. There's a little phrase up there that says, where heaven meets earth. Uh, so it's, it's getting God's view on something instead of just looking at it from the way the world has looked at it, lived by it, or maybe what we've been in, how we've been enticed to live like the world. God is saying, hey, look, that principle, don't, don't try to just go for the shallow version of what that is. I have a whole different idea of the way I see that principle. So come on, will you walk with me and let me show you a whole different, flip you up on the side of your head and just show you something different about that. And so today, I want to talk about the flip side of greatness. So on the count of three, I want everybody here, because I know y'all are awake, I want you to as loud as you can, I want them to hear you down at the Panther Stadium, I want you to be louder than anybody else. On the count of three, I want you to holler the word greatness. One, two, three. All right, well done. And I didn't even have to set you up to yell that loud. So I'm going to talk about the flip side of greatness. Now, when I think of greatness, Sometimes I like to think of athletics. And so for me, when I think of great athletes, my mind goes to the Olympics. Because in the Olympics, people from every country are challenging and battling each other in their event. 
And so whoever comes out on top, they are great. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you love the Olympics? Raise your hand first for that, just watching the Olympics. All right, a good contingency of you. Now, put them down. How many of you, your favorite is the Summer Olympics? All right. How many of you, hands down, how many of you Winter Olympics? Winter? Okay. Now, how many of you both? You just like watching both of them. All right. I'm kind of with you there. I probably, if I had to pick between the two, I love the Summer Olympics more, but I do enjoy the Winter Olympics. Uh, I'm, I'm just in awe of some of the things those people do on skis and uh, all that stuff. But I love watching the Olympics because we get to see these people who do something and do their craft and do the thing that they've been doing very great, like way above I could, what I could ever do with it, and they do it so great. But do you know that they didn't just wake up from being on the couch last night eating a thing of Pringles and go, I think I'm going to go to the Olympics today? No. They got there because they pushed, they worked hard, they spent a lot of time, they spent a lot of time, they spent a lot of time, their whole life working, pushing, a grind, they maybe did something with their diet, they swam, they ran, they did all these things just for the potential of being called great. And we give them labels like the fastest man on earth, Usain Bolt. We talk about people like Michael Phelps, the most decorated athlete in Olympic history and all the, the records he broke and the things he did. And we talk about these people in a way and we give them a label that says they are great. And then after all this hard work, they've been the best in their field. They stand on a podium as number one with number two and three beside them and a medal is placed on their neck. And that medal represents that that person in that track event, in that swimming event, the person who was skiing downhill, whatever the case may be, they stand as the greatest in their field. And here's what I know about God. God looks at each one of us and he wants us to stand on the podium of our life and to be the greatest mom, the greatest dad, the greatest husband, the greatest teacher, the greatest student, the greatest son, the greatest daughter. He wants you to be the greatest at your job. He wants us to have the greatest attitude. He wants us to be great. But it's not the same direction, and we don't get to God's greatness necessarily the same way that an Olympic athlete gets there. We don't stand on a podium and wear a medal that says, look at me and how great my life is. And we live in a day and age where we can flip on social media and we can see how great everyone else's life is. We see their highlight reel and we think, man, my life is terrible compared to their life. And there's this idea of greatness floating around. Some of us in areas, maybe we're trying to strive for that. Some of us, we feel worse about ourselves because we feel like there's somebody else that has achieved greatness. And when are we going to achieve greatness? And God says, if you'll just take a minute and stop looking at greatness like the world, I have a whole other way that I look at greatness. You're going to have to stand on top of your head to understand it because it's not what you normally think. So I want to look at how God takes greatness and flips it upside down and what we can learn from this as we push through life. 
I want to read Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 21 through 23, and this is the message paraphrase, and I like the language it uses, uh, so I want to read it in here. I just love the way that uh, it says uh, what this is and talks about greatness. Now, there's a, there's a core and a backbone that we have to understand about God's view of greatness, and we're going to find it right here. Jesus uh, is talking, and he says, knowing the correct password, saying, master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment. Thousands of people will be strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. And this is my favorite. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. Ultimately, look at how great we did, God. We are great. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Some other translations on that end, they say, depart from me because you never knew me and I never knew you. I believe if we want to understand what the backbone of greatness is, if we want to have a foundation to begin to even look at what God says about greatness and live in that greatness, we have to understand this principle, that greatness comes from our knowing. Our greatness in life comes from our knowing. And I'm not talking about a Google search. Siri, tell me what this is. I'm talking about Knowing a real and living God. Not just showing up to church. Not just trying to be good. Not just living your life by a bunch of rules. But knowing a God who desperately wants to know us. And I believe this begins the process, if we choose it, of us even having the opportunity to understand what greatness is as a wife as a husband, a friend, an employee, an employer, in our attitude, we have to start there. But then God says, once you start there, now I want to build the rest of the house to this foundation of greatness. I want to put flesh and bones around this backbone and this core of this greatness of you knowing me. So let me help you through your life. Now I want to leave you with a phrase that if you have chosen or you choose to step out on that rock of greatness and to know him, I'm going to leave with you a phrase that when you walk out of these doors and life is going to hit you, stuff's going to come, that you can maybe say in your head to help you reposition and get the correct focus on how you find greatness in the many different areas of life that we will live, and it will take an entire lifetime of searching this greatness out. Here's the phrase. Who we pursue... While we push determines our place. Who we pursue while we push determines our place. Am I going to do it my way and pursue what I want? Or am I going to pursue, it, pursue God and do it his way? As I'm going through life, as I'm pushing, as I'm grinding, as I'm at work, as I'm relating with people, as I'm doing whatever I do in my life, as I'm going after my dreams, as I'm doing the fun stuff I love to do, as I'm pushing through all that, who am I pursuing, me or God? Because it will determine our place. 
Now, there's this phrase in the Bible that I believe, for me, uh, shows what greatness is. And it's the phrase we saw at the beginning uh, of the, the bumper that came up. And it's the phrase, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. If I put myself first as I'm pushing through life, then my position will be determined. I'll be last. If I put myself last as I'm pushing through life and lean into God and pursue him, then my position will be determined. It will be first. Because God says that greatness is when the last become first. And so if we really want to understand what God has for us, if we really want to know what it's like to be great and to live that way, we have to remember and think about who am I pursuing because that's going to determine my place and where I end up on this journey of greatness. I want to share with you a story in Luke chapter 13, and I'm going to set it up before we read what you'll actually see on the screens. So Jesus is going through towns and villages, and as he's going through, a person comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, will only a few people be saved? In other words, will there be only be a few people that go to heaven? And I love Jesus. He doesn't just answer like yes or no. He tells this great story to try to get us to really understand. And he says this. He says, do whatever you can to enter in through the narrow door. There's a narrow door, and you need to do whatever you can to enter in through that because there's going to be a lot of people that want to get through that narrow door, but they're not going to make it. And eventually, the owner of the house is going to come, and they're going to shut that narrow door. And when they do, there's going to be somebody standing on the other side knocking and beating on it saying, wait, wait, open it up. You forgot about me. I need in. And the person who owns the house is going to say, I don't know you, and I don't know where you came from. And then that person is going to say, but we ate with you. And you remember I was there when we were drinking together. Oh, remember when you came through the streets of my city, and I sat out there, and I listened to you and everything you taught? And it says the owner of the house is going to say, I don't know you, and I don't know where you came from. And then Jesus goes on to talk about how those people are going to feel that didn't make it in. He said they're, they're going to experience weeping and gnashing of teeth because they're going to look and see that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets are in the house, and they aren't. Now, we might sit here and go, well, I mean, that wouldn't really bother me. I'm not really sure who Abraham is or Jacob or Isaac. But what you have to remember is the context of who he's talking to. He's talking to Jewish people. Jewish people knew what we would call the Old Testament, where it talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets. So for them not to be where they are, they knew it was a big, uh-oh, something didn't turn out right. And he said they would experience weeping and gnashing of teeth, wishing they could be where they were. And then we pick up Luke 13, verse 29. Jesus continues, and he says, And people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their place in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And some who seem the greatest now will be least important then. 
In other words, and another way to say this, and some translations say, those who are last now, that seems like in our world, in our view, they're not around. They don't have it all going together. I don't ever hear about them. They don't have 10,000 followers. They ain't nothing. Those who seem least now, they don't get on the platform and preach. Maybe they were just, they were helping wipe up water on the floor. They ain't nobody. Those who seem least now will be the greatest then. But those that we think are all that, maybe even some pastors that stand on a platform and have a church of 40,000 people, those that seem great, they might just very well end up being the last. It sets up this idea that if we don't decide to figure out who we're going to pursue in every avenue of life, then we're going to miss out on the fact that if we put ourselves last, that we can really be first and experience greatness. That when we're pushing through life and the grind comes and we're going through everything, am I going to pursue me or God? Because that will determine my place when God determines and defines what greatness is really. And I believe there's two areas that I want to share. I think these cover a lot of areas, but they might not be it. I want to talk about two areas where we are tested in our life with this idea of greatness. We're tested to see if we really want to be great the way God says that he's called us to be great. The first area that we're tested is with what we love. What we love. Jesus is just got through talking with this rich man, and he said, if you're willing to sell everything you have, you can come follow me. And the rich man didn't want to do that because he had a lot of stuff, and he just walked away because he didn't want to get rid of all that stuff. And then Jesus turned to his disciples that were there, and he said, I just want to let y'all know something. It is harder, or excuse me, it is easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for someone who's rich to enter into the greatness and enter into heaven. And the disciples were like, whoa, hold on. So, so who, can, who can be saved? Who can enter then? And he said, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then we pick up in this verse, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. This had Peter all just worked up that he said, I got to talk to you about this. And so we start in verse 27. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. I love what he says right before this greatness statement of many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. He talks about people that have left their brother, sister, mother, cousin, job, field, all those things for his sake. People that have decided to pursue God as they were going through life and therefore found their place with being first because everything else was last. Now, I'm not telling you to go home and say, Mama, I don't like you. I'm out the house. Peace. 
or go tell your cousin, I couldn't stand you anyway. I'm going to leave you because I got to be last so I can be first. Don't, don't put me in your life like that. Don't say Michael said because that's not God telling you that. I think mostly it's a heart issue. It's not necessarily just walking away from them or not having anything to do with them. It's how much do I love them and am I willing to put my love for God above that in the midst of that great relationship? I love to be outside. I love the outdoors. I love watching shows on Netflix where people are out in the woods living their life, and if they're going to eat, they got to go kill something. If they're going to drink, they got to go find the water in the stream. It's called a subsistence lifestyle. It's hard work, but whatever you put your hands to, you put it in your mouth. And I love that. I tell my wife all the time, uh, we just need to move to Alaska where my closest neighbor is about two miles away. And I'm okay if I don't see a lot of people. I'll be just fine with the animals. And her response is, I love you, but it's too cold in Alaska. We can find somewhere else where it's a little warmer. I tell people all the time, I would love to just go live out in the woods. But then I usually follow it up with this statement. I really know in my heart of hearts, as much as I love the outdoors, as much as I love the country, as much as I love being out away and just the peacefulness, I love people, but I like being out and away. As much as I love that, I know deep down inside that if I pursued that love the way that I wanted it to unfold, that would it not be God's, it would not be God's best. Because God tells me every time I make that statement, he whispers in my head. It sounds like my voice, but he whispers in my head. He says, Michael, you know the gifts that I've put on your life. And you know that I desire you to be in interaction with people. If you go live out in the wilderness, you're going to be doing what you want to do, not what I want to do. And you're going to disconnect in a way that's going to hurt you more than help you. And so ultimately, I know that that thing I love I have to put last and just trust that God is going to make it even greater than I could do it on my own and is going to allow me to experience joy in that area of something that I love far greater than if I just ran away and was living out by myself. And I think there are plenty of times and plenty of things in our lives that we love to do. We love to work out. We love to play video games. We love this person. We love that person. We love to go to the mall. We love to get all, you know, dolled up and decked out. And we love to buy this. We love to buy that. And God is saying, are you pursuing me in that? Are you pursuing yourself? And if you are in that area of your life, if we are pursuing ourselves, we're never going to experience the full joy that he's put in us and the reason why we like something unless we're willing to put ourselves aside. He's going to test us with what we love. And if we really want to experience greatness, we have to be willing to put him first above those things we love. The second area that I believe we get tested in with this whole principle of greatness is in what we want. What we want. In the 9 o'clock service, I had confirmation on something that I wasn't, I was unsure of. I was talking about, you know, if you're old school, for sure you should know this. You know how you get two people and they pick teams and you go play and real quickly, you know how good you are by what place you get picked on that team? Like real quick. I don't 
I heard they don't do that anymore. I think we're afraid to hurt kids' feelings. Everybody gets a trophy. We live in that day and age. But the funny thing about that whole concept of we want to protect kids and we, want to, we don't want people to feel bad about themselves. When I was coming up, let's just say I had 15 times in my life that I was up to be picked and I didn't get picked first. I had 15 times where I didn't feel like I was great. I felt like I was less than. Nowadays, with all the electronics, all the social media, you can feel like you're not great 15 times in an hour because you see everybody else's stuff, and all of a sudden, you're not great. So I don't know why we took picking people for sports out of, out of school, but we need to bring it back. Let's sign a petition. <laughs> I was in 12th grade just a few years ago, senior in high school, where we still pick people. And my coach, Coach Amos, in PE class, I was one of the few upperclassmen, a senior. Most everybody else was, you know, junior, a lot of sophomores. He would pick me and these two other guys to pick teams for basketball. Now, I knew these two other guys enough that they were good athletes and they were uh, good at basketball. So he would pull us up there and we would start picking teams. Now, when you pick teams, you want to win, so you want to pick the best people, Right? If you don't understand that, then we got a lot of problems, and we could talk later. So you want to be the best. So you pick the people that either you've seen or know are the best, or you have a good idea they're the best. You want the best people. So first two guys pick, and they each pick these guys that are really good, athletic, play basketball. Comes to my turn. Every person I pick are all the people that would have been picked last. Now, there was something that I knew. I knew these two other guys enough, and I knew about them enough that I picked the last on purpose because these two guys had a major, like, problem, disease. It's actually an epidemic that it runs rampant. A lot of people don't know about it. But these two guys, they were ball hogs. It's tough. I know it's hard to hear. Meaning, you can stick a 1,000 people on their team, and they ain't never going to pass to them. It don't matter if 50 of them are open. I knew enough about myself. I would played basketball. I was athletic. I'm not like some superstar, but I was faster back then, and I was really good on defense. So all I would do is I would guard the ball hog and shut him down. Now, my team, because everybody was terrible, they didn't guard them. So I'm passing to them right there and right underneath the basketball goal. Do you know we ended up first almost every time? Because I picked all these people that were last, we ended up first. And I believe God is sitting in heaven looking at us, and he knows something. And he's looking at you, and he's going, if you will just stop trying to strive, Michael, if you'll just stop trying to be first and go what you think is the best, and you'll step back and let me show you what the best is, then you can be first and experience what real greatness is. I want to share with you this scripture in Matthew 20. I want to set it up first so we know what's going on. Jesus is talking, and he makes a statement that he makes a few times in the Bible. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, remember, Jesus loves to tell metaphors, parables, all these stories for us to get something. 
He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who has a vineyard. And at 7 a.m. in the morning, this landowner finds some people that aren't doing anything. They're not working. And he says, hey, will you go work for me in my vineyard? And they said, sure. They agree on a price up front. I'm going to give you $100 at the end of the day. Cool. We'll work in your vineyard. Nine o'clock rolls around. This landowner is in the marketplace, and he sees some people that don't have work to do. And he says, hey, would you be willing to go work in my vineyard? Sure. I'll pay you at the end of the day. Cool. Twelve o'clock. Still people standing around the marketplace, not doing anything. He goes up to him and says, hey, would you want to do something and work in my vineyard? I'll pay you at the end of the day. Yeah, so they go work. Three o'clock. A lot of people not doing nothing here. People in the marketplace not doing a thing. He said, hey, would you be willing to go work in my vineyard? And it says they're like, yeah, nobody's asked us. We loved it. I don't know what it was about working in vineyards. It was so exciting, but they were ready to go. I'll pay you at the end of the day. Great. 5 o'clock, 5 p.m., still people not working. He says, hey, would you be willing to go work in my vineyard? I'll pay you at the end of the day. Sure, would love to. 6 o'clock rolls around, and the landowner tells his money guy, hey, I need you to go give everybody their pay for the day. It says that the guy goes and starts from the person that started last, so the people that started at 5 p.m., and he pays from that person all the way up to the people that started at 7 a.m., he gave them all $100. Woo, you imagine showing up to work 6 a.m., working a 10, 12-hour day, and your boss gives you $1,000, and then some cat rolls in, works 30 minutes, and gets $1,000? You're going to be hot. Maybe you're not. I am. I'm not that Christian. <laughs> I'm mad. These people were mad. And they went up to the landowner and said, where do you come off, man? How do you give somebody that worked an hour the same amount you gave me and I done worked 10 plus hours? And then here's where we pick up the response of the landowner. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Verse 13, Matthew 20. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius or in my scenario, $100? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? How many times have we said that? This is my money. I can do what I want with it. Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I think sometimes it's very easy to want what someone else has. But when we do that, we put our own selfish desires first, like these guys here that worked all day and were mad. What they missed out on is that they had already agreed to what they were going to get paid, and that money wasn't theirs anyway. They were, they were not even able to be thankful for making money that day. Otherwise, remember, they weren't doing nothing. They went from zero dollars to having $100, but they missed that because they, looked what, they saw what somebody else had. I think... Comparison is definitely one of those arenas where we want what somebody else wants. And God is saying, are you willing to give up what you want so that you can find me and find my best and really live and understand what greatness can be in your life? Over a year ago, I stood on this platform in this service. And I was at the end of preaching a message. And I was just paying in the room, looking around. And over here on the left, I saw this uh, couple, uh, Kevin and Patty Jackson. 
And I love Kevin and Patty Jackson, some of the sweetest, greatest people. And I was, ex- I was excited to see them. And what you need to know about Kevin and Patty is that outside of them both being great people, Patty had been struggling with cancer for many, many years. But the thing about Patty Jackson is that when you looked at Patty, you would have never known she was struggling with anything. When you were around Patty, you would have never known. I was talking with her husband, uh, Kevin, earlier. He was like, yeah, Patty's one of them people that the first minute she met you, you were a friend. Patty Jackson was kind, nice, and she kept it real. She fit the stereotype of what some New Yorkers have stereotyped, that they keep it real. I know when you come down south, you think, man, these people don't say nothing like real. They just talking around the bush. Patty was honest and real. The other thing about Patty is that when I was in a room, I didn't have to see Patty. All I had to do was hear her voice, and I knew it was Patty because there was just something about her voice. Patty lit up a room. And so I see them sitting over here, and I'm excited because in their journey of believing God for healing with cancer and her wrestling with cancer, I, uh, they, she had gotten to a pretty bad place. And so they had, they had been out of town for a while getting some treatment that was like some new cutting-edge treatment being tried out. They were, they were doing this to try to help. And uh, I was excited because I didn't know they were back, but when I saw them, I realized they're back. And so I'm just up here. There are a lot of, most of the time while I'm up here talking, there are also things running in my head. And so I'm not, nobody knows I'm that excited. I'm just inside excited. And then all of a sudden something changed. And I felt like God said, you need to call them up on the platform. And that doesn't happen to me a lot. Um, and, but I knew that the Holy Spirit was saying, come up here. Again, sounded like my voice, but I knew it was different. So I said, Kevin and Patty, y'all come on up if you don't mind. And as they're walking up, and I never told anybody this, there was this word that was just like, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just this one word. And the word was Shift. I don't know if I prayed it in the prayer, but when, man, when I, when I heard that word and I felt strongly about that word, I was like, man, God, we've been, like, Patty's been wrestling with cancer for a long time. And, man, you're about to, you're about to do something. Like, you're about to heal her. I didn't know what was going to happen in that moment. I didn't necessarily hear that. I just knew that she was about to, she was about to turn a corner, and we were going to see her healed right here in front of all of us. So I pray with them. They go sit down. The next week, see Patty from a distance at church, and I couldn't believe it. The Patty Jackson that hardly ever looked, you, you couldn't hardly ever tell she was sick. It almost looked like all those years had just like landed on her in one week, and you could tell she was sick and not doing well. And on the inside, I'm talking to God, and I'm like, God, this ain't really going how I thought it was going to go. But, all right, I'm just not going to focus on the outside, God. You might be doing something or going to do something. Man, God could snap his fingers and something can change. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to still believe and have faith. God. I'm not going to let the outward appearance do anything to, to what I'm believing for. Next, the following week, so two weeks after that time, I called him on the platform. Patty looked even worse, like just, just sick, like almost like she was done and I was like man God what is going on 
few days later, or sometime soon after that, um, Patty died. And different people had to wrestle with different things about that. I just want to share with you what I had to wrestle with. I wrestled with the fact that I stood on this platform, knew that I knew God had said there was going to be a shift, but she wasn't healed like I thought she was going to be healed. And I was like, God, why in the world? Like, I don't just stand up here and, like, say stuff to try to, like, I don't, that doesn't happen to me often. Like, this was, I felt this. I knew it. Like, why, so was the word shift not anything real? And he goes, no. I put shift in your head. Like, I put that in you. What you felt that day was me speaking to you. He said, Michael, but the problem was, is you thought it was going to happen a certain way. He said, what you have to see is, is that that day, I did shift things. I shifted things fast so that Patty could come be with me where she could be more whole than she could ever experience on your little earth. That her healing was not the way you saw it. You see, Michael, the last thing you were thinking was that I was going to take her to be healed and whole and living in a place that you as a human will never experience until you're in heaven. I was going to take her far better and greater than everybody had been praying and allow her to experience something that was way more than you and your little natural mind could understand. So that was the last thing you were thinking, but it was the first thing I was thinking. And Michael, when it's the last thing you're thinking and it's the first thing I'm thinking, that's when greatness exists. And so you need to understand, stop looking at the way you want things to happen. Step back, realize there's going to be things that I want. There's going to be things that I love in life. But whether or not it's great and whether or not I get to experience the greatness of it is all predicated, all dependent on who I decide to pursue. What I think it should be how I think it should turn out, what I think I deserve, or am I going to let God take control? If you will, stand to your feet. And as you stand, I want you to close your eyes. I just want you to, I know God's talking to you. Just let him talk. It might sound like your voice, but just let him talk. And close your eyes. I just want you to, I just want you to sit and listen to yourself and listen to God speak to you. I started out this whole thing talking about greatness and how it begins and the foundation of it. And it's clear in that scripture that we have to know God, not just show up to church and do good. I showed up to church and did good all my life up until ninth grade. When I was in ninth grade, God showed me that he wanted to know me. And I didn't know him. Thought I did, but I realized I didn't. I realized he wanted a relationship with me. And here's what's happened in my life from that day till now. As I've made a decision to grow in that relationship, as I've continued to go to church, as I've given God opportunities to teach me, as I've done things that were hard, as I've tried in different areas, that I was selfish to try to become more selfless as I tried to pull back and be last in things, God has revealed his greatness in a lot of areas of my life. 
And there are a lot of people that could out-talk Scripture with me. They could quote more Scripture than me. They could tell me why they don't love God or believe in God because all these things, and I would never be able to give them an answer that could beat their answer. But I'll tell you this. There is nobody that is going to pull me off of what I believe about God, what I believe about His Son dying for me, because I have tasted enough greatness in my life here on earth that even if I'm wrong, even if I'm wrong, my life has been far better than I could have ever planned it out or played it out. And so for you here today, I don't know if you've just been showing up to church or you've just been thinking doing good or maybe you feel like you have to get stuff together. Don't do that. That's, that's us. That's not pursuing Him. If you're here and you want that relationship, you want it to begin, and it's not going to be easy after that, but it's going to be worth it. If you want that relationship and you've never had that relationship with God, you, you don't know Him, I want you to raise your hand right now. Just lift it up. Don't hesitate. I see you, sir. I see you down front. In the back, ma'am. In the back, sir. In the back, ma'am. There, ma'am. Over here. Right here in the front, two ladies. Thank you. You can put it down once you've raised your hand. Now, you're not raising that hand for me. Raising that hand doesn't do anything. I get you to raise your hand because I know God's talking. Sometimes I think God loves us enough that he just wants us to see if we're responding and hearing what he's saying. Because he wants to know, are we real about this? And if you raise your hand today and you've never had a relationship with God, you've never been baptized, or maybe you're here and you've had a relationship with God, and maybe, maybe early on you got baptized, you were five or six, but your life has really shifted and you've given God more control of your life. And you're like, man, I just want to symbolically show God that I love you and I'm just going to let you have part. If you want to get baptized, you do it after the service. They got all the stuff you need. You just walk out, find somebody, chase somebody down, get baptized. But for those of you who raise your hand, I want you to repeat a prayer after me. Those of you that have that relationship and know God, if you'll join and just encourage them by repeating this prayer also, say it where you can hear it. God, I love you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. He became last so that I could be first in your eyes. I invite you into my life. Help me, grow me, change me so that I can know your greatness in every area of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe. And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.